what I'm seeing in the younger generation are these new skill sets. Like younger women can code. They don't just communicate well. They don't just do social media well. They lead companies well. And that's what I'm really excited about. Does talking about your money make you cringe? Are you tired of fighting about finances? Do you want to stop sabotaging your financial happiness? Then you are in the right place. Welcome to Breaking Money Silence, a podcast series aimed at helping all of us talk more openly about money. Your host, Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, is a wealth psychology expert who is doing what she does best, speaking about taboo topics. International speaker, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection, Kathleen understands money and our relationship with it. Over the past decade, she has empowered thousands of people to break money silence at home and at work. Now, here is Kathleen. Today, I am so happy to be joined by Dave Bruno. He is an entrepreneur, finance industry expert, and influencer with over 15 years at Credit Suisse and UBS in front office and operational roles. We recently met on LinkedIn. Yes, LinkedIn does work. And I was fascinated by his company and Visa's artificial intelligence platform. It was used to accurately detect and predict human behaviors around money and investing. So not a surprise that I found that interesting. Uh, We started to have a conversation and I decided to invite him to the show when I realized that he was a wonderful male ally for women entrepreneurs and business owners and leaders and an all-around fun guy is what I could basically tell from our conversation. And it didn't hurt that he's an ex-Alpine ski racer. So welcome, Dave, to the call. Hello, fellow skier. Hello. (laughs) Thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being here. I'm really excited to uh, listen and learn a little bit from you about your company, but also about your passion about women entrepreneurs and and just being an ally. So so why don't we start there? I mean, one of the things I picked up in our conversation was that there was this passion that you had for gender equality and for supporting women. And I don't hear that in every conversation I have with a white man about some sort of financial services platform. So tell the listeners a little bit about where that passion comes from. So it's authentic. It's real. Um, It comes from experience. So I was living for 22 years in Switzerland and the social setup in Switzerland is very different. It's not better or worse, but most of my leaders over the years were women. And so I came back to the U.S. just last year with my family. I'm married, have two kids, and to take care of my mom, who's, who's older and sick. And so I just found it completely sociologically different here. And it woke me up to the fact that there's so much to do. Yeah, it's really interesting because what I picked up on in our conversation, in addition to you really supporting women and that it was authentic, was also almost culture shock uh, around what it was like in Europe and Switzerland versus what it's like here. So can you say a little bit more about those differences? Because, you know, most of our listeners have probably just lived in the United States. Well, I think that Americans are much more vocal about what's happening around them. And so with all the movements that are going on today, I think it's good when people speak up and we need to listen and also actively participate. And in Switzerland, there's a big cult of women are designed to stay home and men go to work six in the morning, literally six, zero, zero. And then they come home at six, zero, zero at night and dinner's on the table. And we just weren't like that. We were never comfortable there. So I was work from home since a bunch of years. 
I first went to 90% to start helping out how people call it with my son. And then I realized helping out isn't what this is all about. And so I reduced the 60% over the years and then left the corporate world and joined a startup where I can work all the time from home and be an active part of life. And so my journey kind of paralleled what I was seeing in Switzerland and coming back here, I realized, geez, with cars and commuting and offices and the way that things are here, there's, there's really some big things we got to change. Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know about you. I'm a, I think you're younger than me. I'm an older Gen Xer. Uh, I'm, I'm, hanging on the cusp. I'm sorry. Turning 48 this week. So. Oh, congratulations and happy birthday. Thanks. So you are younger than me. And so basically one of the things I'm curious about is if you think that there's a generation difference, just in terms of you just mentioned wanting to, you know, really more than help out with the kids, like raise the kids. Do you think there's a generation difference or do you think that's just a personal thing that you and your, your partner decided to do? No, I think there's a big difference coming. So with the boomers, it was very much the matriarch role. That was the role model. And if you went against that role, you were seen as kind of a freak show. Um, and what the matriarchs have turned into is solopreneurs. So I want to tell you a very brief story about my mom and why she still inspires me and she's my favorite person. So she took 23 years to finish her undergraduate degree. She worked at the local college, which became a university. She started in the mailroom and she started taking night classes while raising us. And my dad was going to work full time. It took her 23 years. When she graduated, literally the whole auditorium stood up and the president hugged her. It was unbelievable. So the matriarch, the boomers, you know, they really started to show the way. The Gen YZ guys that I see now, and I want to give a shout out to like Carrie Ann I'll I'll give you a link to her later. Sheena Allen. These are young founders of businesses, and they are just all in on their businesses like you would have thought of somebody in the Mad Men days. And so with mom, that's really impressive. I mean, I think that that's really cool. And so one of the things, as you know, Dave, I do a lot of work around women entrepreneurs, their relationship with money, money psychology. And I'm always curious to get different people's perspective on women-owned businesses. And do they think or do they notice in, in your life, whether it's research that you've read or your personal experience, that there's a gender difference in how women run their businesses? Uh, and if so, you know, what do you notice that's different than maybe what your typical man uh, or male owner does? Well, there's, everybody has their own strengths. And I don't want to overgeneralize, but I came from the corporate world where the strengths of having a strong rule set, following command, being in control, you know, perfectionism, these things are well suited to women being in senior management positions. And I don't want that to sound belittling. So my women bosses were very good managers. They communicated well with the team. They had everything in control, but they weren't the startup guys, right? So they, they weren't going that next step of this is wrong. I want to fix it. Let's get rid of these people, automate this. They, they were more in control of an empire. And what I'm seeing in the younger generation are these new skill sets. Like younger women can code. They don't just communicate well. They don't just do social media well. 
they lead companies well. And that's what I'm really excited about. Yeah, it is exciting. And I think part of that has to do with the cultural shift around it's okay to code. It's okay to be in finance. It's okay to be an engineer. And certainly when your mom, and certainly my mom, you know, was a traditionalist, they weren't even allowed to kind of fantasize about that. So I, I do see there's a difference and it's exciting. I think one of the things that's so complex or so challenging for a lot of women that I work with and, and women that are both my colleagues as well as my coaching clients is really the biases that are out there. And so how do we make sure, and I, I often think, you know, men like yourself can be so helpful, even maybe more helpful sometimes or more powerful in really advocating for, you know, these, women, these young women who want to start companies to have an opportunity to do that. I know that's a big question, but do you have any thoughts about that? Well, I think what I'm seeing right now is a lot of solopreneurs. So especially from the Gen X, so us, you know, it's, I don't want to lead people. I just want to run this thing. It's running well. It's coaching. It's life therapy. It's social media enabled. So it's me on a video in front of people. And I think that's only the tip of what you can do. So, you know, if you feel that entrepreneurial thing, don't be afraid to scale up that business to 50, 100 people, go ask investors for money. What men seem to do a lot is just ask, ask, ask. It's our DNA. And we share the same DNA, but the, the sort of difference is that women tend to ask less. And that's a problem. It's a problem in the corporate world. I was on promotion committees. Women never ask for promotion. You know this. This is a story that's played out everywhere. And they also didn't put themselves into the super high risk roles that were really unstable that enable a lot of the promotion. And so it's the same in the startup world. I think the younger generation, they're fearless and they ask a lot more. Well, there's two things I want to follow up on. One has to do with risk and the perception of women in, you know, let's just throw the age out for now, just the perception of women who are entrepreneurs and how they view risk. And, and I would agree with you. I certainly have a business that you mentioned. And so some women do want to scale up and some women don't. And I do see more of the younger women doing so. But when it comes to risk, I think one of the dilemmas that I've noticed is that if you look at the research and you talk to women, it isn't that we're risk averse. It's that we tend to take calculated risks and we look at it a little bit more holistically than your typical traditional male business owner might. So it becomes not just about the risk, it becomes about our financial confidence to take the risk, our supports in our lives, if we're caregiving, if we're not caregiving, you know, a lot of different factors. And I would say that that's not necessarily right or wrong, it's just different. But what ends up happening is VC and angel investors and also bankers actually sometimes offer women-owned businesses lower risk products or don't even talk with them about their alternatives. So I, I really think that's one big piece. The other piece is asking, which I'll follow up with in a minute. So it sounds like you do notice a difference in risk. Well, it's systemic and it's not to victimize or blame anyone, but you know, 19th amendment was 1920, right? But it was 1984 when the last state in the U.S. ratified it. 1974 until women actually got the right to go get credit to do anything, including Which a credit crazy. card without crazy. having a male signature. This stuff is, is in the fabric and goes to the heart of what's happening here in this country for female entrepreneurs. And you can't just delete it within three days. So, you know, I don't think it's fair to pick on people for risk-taking or not. I'm just saying what I observed, which is we need to enable the next generation to put on a lot more risk and think big. 
Yeah, and I think it gets to that issue of asking, because I do believe, as you do and as my listeners uh, do, that there's systematic issues, and they need to be addressed, and I'm not saying they don't. But I often think about what can I do as a woman entrepreneur or as a friend, as an aunt, you know, whatever it is, whatever my relationship is, what is it that I can do to help people learn to ask for what they're worth or to ask for funding or to just be bold. You know, I was joking on a, a conversation I was having this morning at a virtual advisor conference that, you know, they said, why are you so passionate about communication? I was like, well, I think I popped out of the womb having something to say. So it's really about helping people find their voice and communicating that in an effective way. And so I do a lot of work around helping women ask for raises and negotiating and things like that and using their money psychology. What are the tips that you would have for women who are listening in that say, yeah, I am conservative. I am afraid to ask for a promotion or to ask for funding or to scale my business. You know, what thoughts do you have to, to kind of help them push through that a little bit? Well, there's a book uh, that I really like. Uh, it's from Claudia Reuter, who's near here in, in Connecticut. It's called, Yes, You Can Do This. And it's all about female entrepreneurship and how you break out of the cycle of I had two kids at the peak of my career. I had to take a time out. I can't really get back in. Time for solopreneur. And this, this can't keep repeating itself. And so she talks about how she now became, you know, group managing director of Techstars by launching a business. And she failed that business. And then she launched another one. And so she wasn't scared to fail. She also has a great husband. And the two of them supported each other. You got to read her book because she's also done conference calls asking for investment from her child's closet. Like to not be in the way, right? So the, the female experience of going, raising investment, asking for open APIs and integrate software into your business, it's just different. Yeah, it's definitely different. And I, I definitely got that book and I'll put that in the show notes. That's definitely something that I need to look at as well as others who are listening in. So we could focus on what's not going right for women, but what do you think is a strength? Like I think about your mom and I think... Well, I don't want to give you your answer, but I, I have a sense that she was very resilient. So what do you think it is that makes women good at business when they commit to being bold and asking and, and well, taking risk? The same thing that, that allowed women to run past me in my first marathon. It's resilience. It's playing the long game. And it is just ability to deal with a lot of pain. I mean, the, the women who inspire me the most are the ones who've been through a lot. And I've done a lot of uh, extreme sports and skiing and things. And some of the strongest athletes I ever met were women athletes. I used to train with professional women athletes because I could learn a lot more from them about, hey, eat, drink water, take care of yourself. Don't go too fast too early. Let's go now. Now is time to go fast, right? And they were advising me better. And so I think that those, those resilience and long duration things are really strong assets. So when you say they were advising you better, you know, if you hung out with a group of guys and were training, which I'm sure that was part of what you did too, how would they interact? Just competition. Always a wheel in front of your wheel. Always just faster than you skiing. Always showing off. Not much advice going on. And so I find myself now at 48 spending a lot more time with women entrepreneurs because I get a lot more out of it, to be honest. And um, they become better customers in the end. That's really interesting. I mean, it's not surprising, but it's, it's validating that it happens everywhere. And one of the things that I think is 
a challenge for women is how do you collaborate and at the same time, how do you put yourself first or be competitive? I'm sure that those female athletes at a high level have figured some of that out. But what it strikes me, Dave, and I think this is why we connected right away, is you have a high level of emotional intelligence and it seems like you're not afraid to learn something from somebody else. And so I know that your product or one of your products at your company is about emotional intelligence around money and investing. Tell us a little bit more about how you got interested in that and and how you see that's useful when it comes to our relationship with money. Well, it came from the fact that financial advisors don't have a lot of time to scale up. So they end up talking with just the same clients over and over, the ones who have the most activity and money, raise the most commissions. And so in the lab that I was running back at UBS, you know, our hypothesis was that if you make a behavioral finance connection with people, their behavior drives more than 80% of what they actually do. So why are we talking about investment management and stock picking when what they're worried about is what just happened at home, what's happening in their life? And they may be going through something great, right? Their daughter's getting married or, you know, there's been a sickness in the family, which isn't something so good. And so they need to plan around these things and the advisor's coming with, you know, this old school stuff. So the product we built helps the advisor actually understand the other person. Now, I found it fascinating. So I have two reactions to it. The fascinating reaction, because I saw it on LinkedIn. I clicked through. I'm kind of a sucker for a quiz or something. <laughs> so it was short and it was enjoyable. And it was this, you know, this kind of cool, different platform. And I thought to myself, I both found it fascinating. And then there was part of me that was like, well, wait a second, we're doing emotions using a computer or artificial intelligence. And so there was a, not that I found the product to be a disconnect, but there's, I can imagine that someone would be like, well, why would you not just connect with your client in person? Why would you use this platform? That doesn't seem very personal. So what, like, what is your answer to that? Cause I'm sure that I'm not the first one that's thought of that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And there is a lot of resistance to using technology to measure what should be a human thing. One interesting fact the computer is much more efficient in reading what's going on in the other person's emotions and telling you that afterwards or in real time. So if you're to watch my facial expression right now, you'll pick up maybe 20% of what's going on emotionally, whereas the computer sees about 80%. It's like a neutral third party that's watching the interaction. The other thing is when you're thinking about retorting, so speaking back to someone, you're processing and therefore you're not able to express emotion about what the person is saying. And so when you have a static environment, someone can watch an input and you can actually observe what's going on in their soul because this stuff comes from the reptilian cortex, which is the first part of the brain formed. It's in the middle of the brain. That's kind of what we're reading. And so it's much more authentic in terms of the output. And are you reading that with the facial expressions? Because you like look into your computer and there's a camera or something like a camera that's on you as you're answering some questions. Is that how you read the reptilian brain? Yeah, there's, there's two pieces. We let the person self-profile. It's not a personality test. It's not Meyer Briggs. I don't like that stuff. It's more about their inspiration. What gets them up in the morning? Um, what kind of person are they? What, how are they to be around? And then the camera actually looks at about 60 points on their face moving in real time. And we create an emotional profile of what they're experiencing, which we sync up to the video material in the background. So we can say during this part, this person was actually really happy. They were joyful. During this part, they looked confused. In this part, they looked a little scared. And that gives another person, like a financial advisor, a really good 
set of ideas to talk to someone about. Has there been any research with that tool around how women process information relative to money and investing versus men? Or have you, you know, as a company, just not gone there? Oh, we have um, first, and it was all by accident. So we created a tool. It's a software tool, and we started testing it with advisors. And then we realized that the people who are taking it up were the women advisors. And just as a human, we're trying to figure out what's going on here. And it's because a lot of the female advisors, which can be as small as 10% of the advisor population, like in the UK, which people think of it as a very advanced market in finance, but in that sense, it's not. So the women advisors were coming to us, and this has continued to this day, and they use the tool pretty intensively. Um, and the second thing is we added something based on advisor feedback, which was give me this in a spousal situation. So like in Asia, the women tend to drive the financial decisions. They're the CFO of the house. They run the money. And that's within a spousal situation. So the advisor is advising two people who have different beliefs, histories, and happen to cohabitate. And so it's, you know, we found that and built that next. Oh, that's just fascinating stuff. I'm really glad you were able to come on today and break money silence. I know we didn't talk much about money, but I think talking about women and entrepreneurship and gender equality is certainly part of what needs to be talked about, and especially with great male allies like you. So why don't you tell people a little bit more about where they can find out or connect with you? Connect with me on LinkedIn. It's David Bruno. I go by Super Dave. And uh, we can talk about anything. I like to do a bunch of meetings every week where it's people who I didn't know before, where I think, yeah, we could probably help each other in some way. So open to connections. Excellent. So we will put that link in our show notes so people can just click to your LinkedIn. And again, I'm really glad that I took that risk and we could have this conversation today. And, and to just know that you're out there doing some really great, fascinating work, both in the AI space as well as in uh, gender equality. So thanks for breaking money silence with me today. Thanks, Kathleen. Awesome show. And if I ever start skiing again, I'll come up and see you. Definitely. Oh, excellent. That'd be so exciting. All right. <laughs> Take care. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Breaking Money Silence, hosted by Kathleen Burns Kingsbury, a wealth psychology expert, author, and founder of KBK Wealth Connection. If you like what you heard today, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and leave a review. Also, share this episode with your friends and family. It is a great way to get the conversation started. For more money talk tips and information or to hire Kathleen to speak at your next event, go to www.breakingmoneysilence.com.